Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. A superior court decision to dismiss criminal charges against Jalalip fishermen fends off a challenge to treaty rights in Washington state. The Intertribal Council of Michigan is teaching people how to use traditional ingredients with videos and other cooking resources. A Native woman wins the title on a big-time reality cooking show. And Sugarbush season is currently underway with wild onion season fast approaching. That's what's on the menu. We're back after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The City of Toronto has unveiled its first-ever plan to support reconciliation with Indigenous people. Dan Karpinchuk reports. Toronto is one of Canada's largest urban Indigenous populations, and along with that has come higher rates of homelessness and poverty. The Reconciliation Action Plan was developed over three years with input from Indigenous, Inuit and Métis people, along with elders, knowledge keepers, youth and Indigenous employers and city allies. The plan has 28 goals included in five themes. They are actions to restore truth, to correct relations and share power, for justice, financial reparations and actions for the Indigenous Affairs Office. Toronto Mayor John Tory says the city has a role to play in advancing truth and reconciliation with Indigenous people. The message was conveyed loud and clear to me that this just cannot be another government report. And I want to re reiterate that the Reconciliation Action Plan is a living document that will grow and it will evolve and it must grow and it must evolve as, as needed to ensure that it is in fact credible and effective as seen through the eyes in, of Indigenous communities and is a work plan for the government that comes from our Indigenous communities. The plan also includes the creation of 5,200 affordable rental homes and the creation of an Indigenous crisis response pilot. The city also plans to apologize to Métis, improve relationships with treaty and territorial partners, and boost Indigenous economic development. The action plan will be considered by the Executive Committee next week and then go before Toronto City Council a week later. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. The Blackfeet Nation in Montana has declared a state of emergency to address a series of opioid overdoses and deaths. Montana Public Radio's Aaron Bolton has more. The Blackfeet Tribal Business Council's declaration states there were 17 opioid overdoses and four deaths on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation in just a week's time. The Blackfeet Tribe is forming a task force led by tribal law enforcement and behavioral health officials to craft recommendations on how to deal with the growing issue and will report back to the Tribal Council. Recently, Montana law enforcement has found fentanyl in counterfeit prescription pills. Methamphetamine is also increasingly laced with the powerful drug. State law enforcement officials say the number of deaths related to fentanyl overdoses nearly tripled across Montana from 2016 to 2020. All deaths related to opioid overdoses have increased at similar rates, according to a state health department analysis of the most recent data. That report shows indigenous Montanans are dying from drug overdoses at nearly three times the rate of white Montanans. For National Native News, I'm Aaron Bolton. 
U.S. Supreme Court nominee Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson was asked about her knowledge of tribes during confirmation hearings this week before the Senate Judiciary Committee. California Senator Alex Padilla questioned her about tribal sovereignty and the unique relationship tribes have with the federal government, saying she's had limited experience with Native rights cases. But if confirmed, there will eventually be cases involving tribes. Padilla asked the federal judge to explain her understanding of U.S. tribal relations. Indian tribes are, um, uh, as a general matter, considered to be sovereigns. And the relationship is a sovereign-to-sovereign relationship. But it's one in which uh, the federal government um, has some responsibilities related to, to the Indian Nation. Tribal leaders and directors of Native organizations are stressing the need for the next Supreme Court justice to understand, recognize, and uphold principles of tribal sovereignty, treaty rights, and federal trust responsibilities. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Support from AmeriCorps. Members who serve in VISTA fight against poverty while earning money for college and gaining skills. Rewarding service opportunities are available in communities across America. Info at americorps.gov VISTA. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is The Menu on Native America Calling, a regular show focused on indigenous food news and food sovereignty. I'm your host and producer, Andy Murphy. And there's a lot of Native food news to get to in this hour, including a criminal court case in Washington where charges were dropped last month. And that's because a superior court judge recognized tribal treaty rights. It's a win for the Native fishermen involved in the case, but tribes and treaty rights groups are still concerned about how far the state went to interfere with tribal citizens' treaty rights. We'll also take a look at what a Michigan group of culinarians is doing to encourage Native people to cook with traditional and local ingredients. But first, it's maple syrup time, and we need to celebrate that for a bit. You can add your voice to today's food discussions, too. Are there any new or interesting food initiatives in your Native community? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And joining us from the Keweenaw Bay Indian community in Michigan is Jerry Jondro. He's the owner of Dynamite Hill Farm, which is a family-owned business. And he is Wequidong. Uh, also known as the Keweenaw Bay Indian Community. Welcome to Native America Calling, Jerry. Oh, miigwech, Andy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining. So, um, so it is maple syrup time. It is sugar bush season. How's that been so far in your area? 
It's been an interesting year so far. Um, it's, it's been a late start. And so in the, the past five or six years, it seems like we've been getting started um, in February, which traditionally is, is early. Um, but this year, it's actually kind of getting started right now. So, yeah, we're about uh, two, two to three weeks behind where we, where we typically are. So, mm-hmm. but we're going. Yeah, yeah. Um, wh- what is the traditional name for uh, maple syrup in your area? Jiwaga, uh, Michigan. All right. Um, and it's um, something that has connections to Chicago? Oh, that's the, the onions, the wild onions. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, that, that's what we're going to talk about a, a little bit <laughs> later from now. Okay, <laughs> there we go. There's a little teaser, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, we're going to talk about wild onion season coming up. Um, but, uh, Jerry, you know, how, how, you know, I know maple syrup is important in that area. Um, how, kind of explain the history of uh, syrup and sugar in the area. It, it was a big economy, right? Yeah, yeah. So our people, the Anishinaabe people, that includes the Ojibwe, the Odawa, and the Potawatomi, um, also known as the Chippewa, the Ottawa, and the Potawatomi, uh, make up the Anishinaabe Nation. And um, we've we've spent a lot of our existence within uh, Maple Nation, um, even the time before our, our large migration over here to the Great Lakes region where um, food grows on water or Minoman or also wild rice. Um, but uh, our existence ha- tells us stories that go uh, way, way back. And I, I, I don't think this is uh, the audience necessarily where I have to explain myself too much, but our, um, our culture is, is ancient. It's very old. And we have stories that go back to the beginning of time, the beginning of our existence. Uh, and many stories um, that talk about our, our connection to um, Inanatig or the sugar maple tree and uh, talks about uh, how that tree has, has saved our people in the past um, when food was, was very scarce, and which is also appropriate you know, when we're talking about food sovereignty. Uh, in, our, um, in, in our stories, we know that we've, we've faced a lot of these issues in the past as well, and oftentimes it's been these other beings that we exist with that have really come to our rescue. Um, and so we do have stories about in uh, Anatig saving our people a long time ago with uh, share, by sharing their sap with us. And since then, we've we've maintained a relationship with Inanatig uh, at, the, at the end of winter, transitioning into springtime. Iske uh, Gamazigan, or Iske Gay, the act of, of sugaring, uh, is something that we've been participating in for a long time. And uh, maple sugar, which is the more traditional form of maple uh, was a was a really important uh, commodity for us as Ojibwe people, and and where we are located now uh, in the Great Lakes area, there's water you know water all over the place, rivers and lakes. Uh, we used to take our um, Wiguasi Jimon, our birch bark canoes, and we would uh, we would take big 50 pound uh, McCucks or birch bark baskets full of maple sugar, and we traded that stuff all over Turtle Island. Um, it was a really important uh, trade food for us. And so we've had a, a really long 
relationship with that food and with that process. We have uh, language that specifically talks about the process and uh, ceremonies that we conduct um, at the, the very beginning of the season uh, directly related to this food. And so, uh, yeah, our people have been doing this for a very long time. It's unfortunate that, you know, our people are, are not really associated with this food anymore um, when it's such a big component of our identity. And so there's a lot that we can talk about, about that history. Um, but I know this is a short segment, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it seems like when you think about maple syrup, you think about uh, Canada <laughs> or you think about um, breakfast. You don't necessarily think about, uh, you know, the tribes in that area. But, um, uh, you know, this is the place to talk about that here on uh, Native America Calling. Um, you know, so, so what, what are folks like yourself doing to sort of um, uh, maybe like reclaim uh, this part of uh, culture and economy there? So my family and I are, um, well, we recently started Dynamite Hill Farms. That was back in 2019 when we really sort of went all in on this um, reconnection, uh, reestablishing our relationships is the way I like to look at it, not necessarily as, a, as an economic opportunity, although it is that too. Um, and so in 2019, we really sort of uh, dove in headfirst. We've been, we've been sugaring for a long time on a small scale. Um, but in 2019, we really sort of went in, and uh, and so we're we're in the in the middle of of trying to understand the ins and outs of the business as it is today, and the amount of hurdles that our people have to to jump through just to try to break into this economy again. So we we sell maple syrup, we sell maple sugar, we also ferment some of our maple syrup, and we make a maple vinegar. Um, uh, but the, the the amount of hurdles, not necessarily just economic, but uh, even the the oversight that you get from agencies and food agencies and uh, access to land is a major hurdle for our people. And so we're we're trying to reclaim that that relationship uh, with with those trees. and And while we're doing that, we're also trying to bring awareness of the issues that our people are facing today, but then also the, the historic um, importance of, of this activity, you know, of this ceremony that we, that we do now. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be talked about with that as well. Every single one of these topics that we bring up, or there's a, there's a lot to discuss. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, but, but, uh, you know, yeah, you know, that could be a whole, uh, other show on itself, just talking about, um, maple syrup. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to put that on my list for one of the next, uh, Native America calling shows here. Uh, but, um, like we mentioned a little bit before, there is wild onion season coming up uh, right after this uh, on social media. I'm starting to see folks taking pictures of, you know, little um, green shoots kind of coming up out of the ground. Uh, tell me about that. Tell me about uh, wild onions. In, in our language, um, wild on onions is a uh, Chicagoans, and that's actually uh, where, you know, you mentioned earlier, that's that's where the Chicago gets its name from, is uh, Chicago Wunsch, because that was the, the, the place where 
the wild onions were plentiful. And now that's no longer the case because of urbanization, but that's that's where the name comes from, which is interesting. But yeah. um, these these wild leeks, which is another name for them, another common name for them, they're a, they're a spring ephemeral, and so they're one of the first plants to to start pushing through um, the soil once everything starts to warm up. It's always a welcome sign when you start seeing the first signs of those little green leaves, like you would describe, kind of pushing their way through the the brown. Um, soil and the, the leaf litter and stuff it's always uh, a great time of year and my family so we transition from sugaring we go into spearing and then we also go into harvesting some of these uh, wild leeks um, but wild leeks are there it's a very sensitive plant and it's uh, it's something that if you're gonna if you're gonna try to build a relationship you ha you have to understand that plant a little bit better and know that you have to be very gentle when you're interacting um, with those plants. And so we have several different areas that we go to every single year and we're just very gentle in how we harvest. We don't harvest many of the bulbs. We harvest some of the leaves too, because they have that amazing garlicky onion, even with a little bit of hint of spice behind it. That's, uh, that's amazing. Okay. All right. Uh, what are uh, a few of the dishes or foods you make with uh, these uh, wild leeks? So we, we use them basically like onions, you know, throughout the year. We'll, um, we'll dehydrate some, and we can use those in soups. Uh, we also freeze some, and we'll thaw them out, and we'll kind of dice them up and use them just like onions or garlic. Um, the leaves itself, um, we'll, we'll, we'll clean those off. We'll dehydrate those. And then we make a, a leek salt, and so uh, we, it takes a lot of leaves to de dehydrate to get yeah. enough salt. All right, um, uh, Jerry, we'll get back to that right after this break, but you can join the conversation too. Any food news you want to share, call us at 1-800-996-2848. Many Native Americans were shocked by a recent series of troubling incidents. A hotel owner bans Native customers, a first grader's hair is cut by schoolmates, and a high school ignores pleas to get rid of headdresses and other objectionable imagery. We'll get updates on the latest and the next Native America Calling. Fesche, support our healthcare team and enroll in healthcare coverage today. Contact your local Indian healthcare provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Elahqua. listening to The Menu, a regular show on Native America Calling about indigenous food and food sovereignty. I'm your host, Andy Murphy, and we are focusing on a couple of different topics uh, coming up, including Native cooking resources and a criminal court case concerning shellfish. You can join our conversation too. Are there any new indigenous food initiatives going on in your native community? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. I'd like to go back to uh, Jerry Jandreau, owner of Dynamite Hill Farm. Um, Jerry, you were just listing some uh, interesting uh, foods and a, a, a leek salt and onion salt that you can make with these wild Wild leeks. Uh, go ahead, continue. 
Yeah, so um, with the leek salt, we, we'll just harvest some of the leaves. And again, I mentioned that leaks are, are very sensitive. They take a really long time to regrow and regenerate. So you got to be very careful when you're harvesting those. And so sometimes we'll just harvest like one leaf from the plant and, uh, you know, you get enough of those. And we can dehydrate those. And then we'll grind that um, with uh, pink Himalayan salt. And it makes a, a green powder that is just, it's amazing. Um, one of my favorite ways to eat minomen or uh, wild rice is uh, just plain wild rice with some of that wild leek salt on top and, uh, and, a, and a little drizzle of a, of a good olive oil. Mm. And amazing. <laughs> All right, I got to try that for uh, next time. I have a couple of bags of wild rice uh, at my house. But, um, you know, so, so I've been seeing these ramps. They're also called ramps, um, you know, wild leeks, wild onions on restaurant menus. Uh, it's kind of, you know, kind of getting a little bit popular in the mainstream. Um, wh- what do you think about that, Jerry? Uh, I, I think that's great that people are are um, venturing out and, and trying new foods, but I, I'm also uh, very nervous about that because one, once these foods become trendy, um, because they're 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 wild and they grow um, out in the woods, uh, there's a, a big potential for overharvesting. And um, I think an example that some people may be familiar with too is is chaga. Um, Chitagan, this mushroom that grows on birch trees that people are making like chaga teas and chaga lattes and stuff like that. But they realize that this is a good medicine and now they're out there harvesting and they're over harvesting. And so now our people are having a really hard time um, maintaining that relationship with those foods because it's become trendy and because people don't know how to harvest in a good way. Uh, they, they see um, something that's good and then they want to take it all. And so um, with this, uh, I guess, newfound um, flavor, it I worries me that people are going to be going out there into the woods and harvesting uh, without knowing what they're doing, and they can really uh, ruin a bed of wild leeks. Mm. Got it. All right, Jerry. Well, thank you so much for joining. I know you have a really busy day coming up, so I'd like to uh, thank you again for joining us here. Um, I'd like to uh, bring in another guest, but before I do that, I want to let you know about uh, Citizen Potawatomi Chef Piet Despain. She just won uh, one of Chef Gordon Ramsay's televised cooking competitions. Despain is the first ever winner of Fox's Next Level Chef. She outshined and outcooked 14 other chefs and let the world know about Native American food. Here's the moment Piet was named the winner. Congratulations goes to... Piet! Right here, Piet puts her hands to her mouth and she begins crying happy tears. And the camera pans over to her mother who's in the stands and she's jumping and also crying happy tears. I know what I've come from. I know the battles. I know the grit and the fight that I put out. Living out of my car, trying to make this dream happen. Oh my God. I never thought to myself that I was capable of doing something like this. I am the next level chef.
Along with that title, Piet takes home $250,000 and will be mentored by the show's line of expert culinary judges. I spoke with Piet shortly after her win, and this is what she had to say about helping to bring Native American food into the spotlight. I think this is the perfect season and perfect time for Indigenous people and Indigenous food to shine in the culinary world, because if you think about, you know, the origins of a lot of ingredients, they've all started, you know, with indigenous people. And a lot of people do not know that. My goal is that people just learn the knowledge, learn the ingredients, have respect for indigenous people, um, recognize that we exist, we're here, we matter, and our culture matters. I'm really hoping to be able to kind of lead the growing path, I guess, of other indigenous people that are chefs like myself to be able to come up in the culinary world and be successful. I also asked Piet what she's planning for her future. My goal right now is just to really connect with the community because this is the community that I'm representing. And so I think it's everyone's best interest that I reconnect and really hear the voices of the people in the community and, and figure out how I can best serve them on, on this big platform. And so I'm doing that in the meantime, I would love to be able to invest into an actual like restaurant or like a food truck or something of that nature, but I'm doing pop-up restaurants in the meantime. So I'm kind of just, you know, going with one at the moment. I'm just here to, to spread the love and the good food. That was a piece of my interview with Potawatomi chef Piet Despain, Next Level Chef. Hear my entire interview with her on the Toasted Sister podcast, which is my indigenous food podcast. Um, if you'd like to join our discussion today on native food, you have your own native food news to share with us, give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. Uh, of course, that's 1-800-99-NATIVE. So last month, a Superior Court judge in Washington dismissed charges against our next guest, Hazen Shopbell, and his business partner at the time, Anthony Paul. They're both Tulalip tribal members and had been defending themselves against the Washington State Fish and Wildlife Department for more than five years. The Fish and Wildlife Department says the two tribal fishermen were engaged in illegal shellfish trafficking. Well, the reason the charges were dropped, treaty rights. Uh, so joining us from, uh, joining us now is Hazen Shopbell. He is a sitting council member for the Tulalip Tribes. He's an entrepreneur and treaty fighter. Welcome to Native America Calling, Hazen. How's it going, Annie? Thanks for having me. It's going pretty good. I'm glad you could join us. So, um, you know, I, I, I let folks know just about the basics of this uh, whole incident here. But, you know, you lived it. Uh, we talked a little while ago and you said, you know, it was like five years plus of stress dealing with this. So uh, first, can you set this up? You had a business, right? Can you can you tell us about it? Yeah. Um, so I guess this a quick recap, um, growing up on the beaches here in Tulalip, you know, we truly lived off the water and the land and, you know, families would come together and fish um, and crab. And that's how we sustain ourselves throughout the season, you know, and, um, you know, growing up, I've always heard our older ones talking about how they're not getting the price they should be getting 
for our catch. And at that moment, you know, I, I had a dream one day that I want to be a, a fish buyer, crab buyer, and um, and so I set out to to make my dream come true. All right, and um, so you had a you had a business, right? Can you can you tell uh, us about that, and then um, you know, kind of what led up to an investigation? Went good. You know, we we came together. Uh, we joined we joined forces and, and came uh, with Puget Sound Seafoods, and the business went well. Um, it went well for two two and a half three years. Um, dock prices were, were at all time high, and then our doors got kicked in by the Department of Fish and Wildlife, and uh, and that's all she wrote from there. Right, and um, you know, so so you spent you know all this time fighting this case. I mean, what what kind of resources did you have to put on the line for all of that? Uh well. I mean, just to be honest, probably a million dollars. We had to salvage the company. We, you know, we we had over five semi-trucks at one point. Um, We had a 12,000-square-foot processing plant where we live wall crab and fish and whatnot. And uh, and we had tons of fish toads, brand new, over 100 fish toads, and all all the stuff that comes to take to run a business as such. And basically, we just sold everything off to... Um, to fight the court battles. Okay. All right. And uh, the dismissal of the charges. Um, you know, the judges were talking, um, talking about treaty rights, and those come from, um, you know, treaty rights that the the tribe has for, um, you know, taking you know, fish and wildlife in the state. Can you kind of give us a little bit of background about that and, you know, leading up to the fish wars and then the Bolt decision up in Washington? Yeah, so I guess to recap, you know, for the business, we buy and sell seafood, right? And we mm-hmm. basically cut the middleman out and, and capture the best price for, <clears throat> for our people. And so the the part came down was some shellfish, some clams that, were, that was purchased through the company, not through myself or my partner, but, you know, because we was buying at times at three or four different locations throughout all Washington State, and it was, it was, we was getting very busy, and one of the employees bought some clams, but the, pro- the problem that the state was having with this one, because the purchase was done on the reservation by a, a tribal business through our own resources. And so to recap on that one, 50% of which, which is in Puget Sound, it goes to the state. The other 50% uh, is goes towards the 29 treaty tribes in Washington. And so with ours, we manage our own resources and how we distribute and, and how we harvest our, our uh, seafood. And the problem with the state is they came in and wanted to dictate and control the situation or control anything and really what we think it came down to a lot of taxes that you know as a tribal business and the natural resource we don't have to pay those taxes you know and so um the the 
a non-travel buyer would have to pay taxes to the state. Well, we didn't have to do that because we're, we're not state. We're federal. We're sovereignty. And so that's where the state really, we believe, amped up and, and targeted us. Okay. All right. And um, uh, treaty rights, uh, can, can you kind of uh, give us that background too? Yeah. So treaty rights, you know, that comes down to back in 74 was a uh, bolt decision. Um, and that was made up of the 29 tribe representatives from each tribe came and we went to fought in court and, uh, and we came out with uh, victorious with 50%, which is in Puget Sound goes to those tribes and the other 50% goes to the state. Um, and that was a big win for us because that, that those moments, those before that was wars, you know, and that came down to the, uh, Billy Frank and his guys really fought hard, you know, to set that and, and to pave that way and then in turn get to the Bolt decision. Judge Bolt made the decision for the tribes. And then later on in 94, you got the graffiti descent decree. And that was for shellfish, for Tideland, also came, and that decision came down from the whole decision as well. So we, those two decisions were very, a very good decision on, on in Washington for any country, and it was good for the people. So, right. and, and then so that's kind of where it brings us today of why was it, why were these guys here on our land doing the things they did? You know, and that's it's still a question for today. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, you mentioned the uh, fish wars. You know, that was back in the '60s and '70s in uh, Washington, um, and that you know led up to the Bolt decision. And all these court um, decisions really kind of reaffirmed treaty rights all along the way. And uh, this new one that you were involved in um, is also. Um, you know, um, reaffirms treaty rights in the area. I mean, what does it say about tribal relationships with the state when, you know, your your treaty rights have to be, you know, reaffirmed every couple of decades? Yeah, you know, the, the thing is, is the state is very upset of the ruling that these judges made um and what what happens is you have this first off the state will never stop they they will never stop coming for us and and, and enough to them is never enough and and we as any people always got to remember that that these guys will never stop you know they they there's something inside them they have that greed or they have that want to to control and take and you know and, and, and dictate people and at the end of the day but you know, are the ones before us. We got to remember, and this is why I fought. And people, you know, why don't you just take a deal and all this? And here, and here's why: is because the ones before us did all the fighting that they did, and the sacrifices, and all the suffering, the, the Billy Frank Juniors and and Senior, and all these guys, man, that came and put their life on the line. Even ones before them that we had a, you know, that that gave up and and went through all what they went through and gave. Some gave their life so we can have. And so you talk five years, it's a, it's a long time to be in court. But that's the, that's the battles we have today, and now it's in court. And, you know, 
there's, there's, you know, there's many times I thought about giving up. There's many times that the state says, hey, you know what, man, just take a deal. No jail time. You know, you just take this deal. But, but what they were doing and being very educated by my attorney, Dave Belanda, good guy, the other attorney, David Smith, and, and he says, hey, you know, you guys don't understand something, man. You guys are in a tight bind here. Um, you got to look at the facts of what they're doing because what they're doing is they're trying to set up case law and set precedents. So you look at the bold decision that was made in 74, then you go repeating the Senate creed now made in 94, and then you have this Styles decision now that was made in Skadish County on our case. That was a big case because the way they, the way it came down, and you're talking five, really seven years, but five years in court of fighting this thing, and yeah, I'm tired. I'm, I'm, but it's the least I can do for the next ones, right? What if my mm-hmm. children, what if your children, what if our people's children don't have the fight in them to fight like that? Right. Right. Uh, we'll continue with Hazen after this break. This is Native America Calling. This is the menu on Native America Calling. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, Stronghearts Native Helpline is a no-charge, 24-7, confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Native Americans. Help is available by calling 1-844-7-NATIVE or by clicking on the chat icon on strongheartshelpline.org. This program is supported by Stronghearts Native Helpline. Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. This is our regular indigenous food show that we like to call The Menu. I'm your host and producer, Andy Murphy, and there's still some time for you to join our conversation. Share your Native food news with us at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. I'd like to uh, continue with our guest, Hazen Shopbell. He's a sitting council member for the Tulalip Tribe an entrepreneur and a treaty fighter. Uh, he was just talking about um, it, why, you know, sacrificing, you know, time and money and resources and definitely a lot of stress over this uh, court case uh, that, you know, and the charges were recently dropped last month, and that just kind of reaffirms uh, tribal treaty rights in uh, Washington. So, um, Hazen, you know, you were just talking about some of the real violence that happened and real sacrifice that happened, not only in your case, but, um, you know, back in the Fish Wars time, you know, you're talking about uh, tribal fishermen being maybe harassed by, um, you know, people of the officials of the state. And, you know, that, that that's something that I think a lot of Native people can understand uh, in, in many other states, including uh, Alaska. Um, but, you know, for you and uh, your then business partner, uh, Mr. Paul, you, you know, you guys were, were um, arrested, right? What, what, what came what came from that? I, I heard there was some kind of settlement, too. Yeah, so on that day, I believe it was June 13th, and that was the most most busiest, uh, and I guess best economic 
time for us because it was the first crab opener of the season. So we we own crab boats at the same time we're the crab buyer, you know. And so, and you know, we crab and we sell back our sauce. We don't, you know, uh, to help um, sustainability for the for the business. But in turn, we have you know family and friends or whatnot that come and support the business as well. And so, at the time, it was over in Everett. Um, and it's about eight miles from the reservation, and we was loading up, uh, getting ready for crabbing. And it was the first first season uh, go. And mm-hmm. as we're loading our gear up, we get approached by two DFW officers, and uh, they said it's time to go. And they took our seized our cell phones and put us in the back of the comp cars, and we was back there for an hour to forty five to two hours, and and I'm I'm listening and hearing these two officers talking saying, Hey, you know, we, we made a mistake, we wasn't supposed to arrest these gentlemen. I mean, let alone even take our cell phones, but they never gave them back. And so just from that act right there was a settlement they settled out for fifty thousand dollars. Um, which was nothing compared to what we went through, but but it, it set a point, you know, for these guys to they can't go on to do those things like that. It's not right, you know. Um so that's kinda of what happened with that story. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you, um, you know, so so after all of this, you lost. You know, you gave up your business. You don't have that that business anymore, as as big as it was, and you know, as important as it was to local uh, tribal fishermen in the area. Um, you know, and now you know charges are dropped. Looks like we're you're looking forward. What what are you uh, looking forward to in the future? Are are you gonna be uh, fishing again? Yeah, actually, you know, I'm getting a boat at, right now, getting redone. Um, it should be done here within two more months, and hope to get ready for our, our crab opener here in set in June. Um, and so I'm just kind of getting things back together, piece my life back together. You know, it was probably one of the rougher times of my life going through something like that, you know, and, and not understanding of what I did wrong. Um, and, you know, that's the, that's the problem with the state versus the versus tribes. It's like, you know, we, these fishermen, tribal, harvested clams and, and sold to our business, but there's nothing illegal with that at all. The state can deem that legal, but that's what the states. That's on. That's what they think. But this this is ain't state property, and that's the problem that we've been having with these guys. And, and you know the thing is, is the state has a limited amount of tax and resources that they can tap into. And so for tribes and for for individuals, we just we individuals don't don't have that that kind of money to keep fighting these things on unless you lose everything, you know. And that's that's something who's willing to risk because. You know, at the end of the day, right is right, wrong is wrong. And and for the state, they shot the prosecution in five different counties. First off, that's legal, illegal in itself, but then getting all up here to Skagit County and the judge um, not once but twice threw the case out. The first time, the state asked to go back to Court of Appeals. The Court of Appeals brought it back to the court, and then in turn, we came back with more um, more ammo in the court. The, again, the courts threw it out. Um, Judge Brian Stiles, um, grateful for him, but you know he 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 read he read everything and you know made the right decision because he was out of jurisdiction. So. 
Right. Yeah. Um, you know, you're talking about, you know, throwing the case out, going to a different court. I mean, it's a it's a complicated case. I had to read um, an article about all of this like three, four times just to really uh, understand it. And um, we'll we'll attach the article I was reading um, on our website if you guys really want to know more about this case involving Hazen uh, shop bell here. Um, but Hazen, before I I move on to another topic and another guest. Is there anything else that you'd like to say uh, to our Native listeners about this case and about the importance of, you know, seeing this whole thing through? Yeah, you know, through all this, you know, gave a lot of thought and and to now as a council member during the midst of all this, I got, you know, I was asked to run for our travel board and I did and I won gratefully thankfully i'm able now i'm in a position i can help a lot better from this standpoint but what something i I would like to leave um our people out there is my thought process in all this is when we as a native nation all of us the more that we become self-sustained what i mean is having our own um fruits and vegetables in agriculture, catching salmon, water, um, not going, you know, going off the grid basically and not becoming um, dependent on the government. When we become more self-sustainable is when we start becoming more in true sovereignty will take place. That's something I'd like to leave everyone to think about because I think tribes, need to start heading that direction um, because, again, the, the government will never stop. And, and and as long as we're attached, then they can, they'll keep coming. So I'd right. like to leave those words. Thank you so much for that, Hazen. Uh, Hazen Shopbell is the uh, sitting council member for the Tulalip Tribes Entrepreneur and Treaty Fighter. And he said it, uh, food sovereignty, that's what this show is all about. And uh, there's just so much to talk about. There's so much movement happening. You know, it's called the Native American uh, Food Sovereignty Movement uh, right now. And part of that is really learning how to cook um, because the the food and resources that uh, folks like Hazen are protecting and uh, producing and making sure that it's available, you know, it needs to come into our kitchens. And that's how we became become, you know, more, I guess, self-sustainable. You know, that's that individual food sovereignty, I guess. Um, I'd like to bring in another guest at this time who can also talk about, you know, the power of cooking. Uh, joining us from Petoskey, Michigan, is Joe Van Olstein. He's the chairman of Zibi Mijawang and vice president of the National Association of Food Distribution Programs on Indian Reservations. He is a citizen of the Little Traverse Bay Bands of Ottawa Indians. Welcome back to Native America Calling, Joe. Oh, thank you, Andy, for having me. I appreciate it. It's always nice to hear from you. Of course. So it's always nice to hear from you. There's all kinds of, uh, you know, food initiatives that you guys are doing up there. So, um, and I wanted to highlight this new one. The Intertribal Council of Michigan came out with an Anishinaabek 
cooking uh, resources. It's it's a whole bunch of uh, recipes and videos and all kinds of useful information that you can take with you into the kitchen. Can you kind of uh, explain more about this? Give us some more details about that. Oh, well, you know, first and foremost, you know, I want to say thank you to, uh, you know, both Jerry and Hazen for the work that they do because, you know, uh, we want to incorporate that into what we do here, right, with, you know, the food distribution program and, you know, putting more, uh, you know, traditional food in, in this food package as well and, you know, reintroduce that food to those uh, to those citizens who might not uh, be familiar with them. So when we uh, Intertribal Council of Michigan came to me uh, and they said we had this grant and we would like to, you know, be able to, you know, really focus on traditional foods and, you know, more fresh produce, you know, stuff like that. So. Uh, we sat, we talked, and uh, we, we came up with, uh, you know, let's do some, you know, cooking videos. It's the time of COVID, we couldn't be together. We wanted to have, you know, some um, in-person cooking demos, but COVID severely, you know, hampered all of that. So, you know, we were like, hey, let's make some, you know, short videos um, and, you know, reintroduce this stuff. Um, the the Dipper package, Nap Dipper, you know, they recently started getting walleye into uh, the food package, and that was one of the things we wanted to, to highlight as well. And there was one of the new uh, traditional foods. So that's how it started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, this, um, you know, all these videos and the recipes here, I'm looking at it right now, uh, they're very beautifully done. Um, can you explain uh, a little bit of, like, like, the process of putting this together? I mean, did you guys have a videographer and maybe, like, a, a graphic artist? Because that's what it looks like. <laughs> Well, yes, we did. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and some of us are, you know, are budding photographers and videographers as well. So it was a great learning experience. Yeah. What are some of these uh, recipes? I'm looking at one right now. It's Michigan maple salmon. Well, you know, just as Jerry said uh, earlier, you know, it's maple season here. And we wanted, you know, this kind of like uh, resource, this cookbook to kind of like go through the seasons as well, right? So, uh, you know, um, winter, spring, summer, uh, and we wanted to use, you know, just as much as traditional food in there as possible. You know, we wanted to highlight, you know, uh, the different local farms and tribal producers in this as well. So uh, we do use, uh, you know, maple syrup and maple sugar in a lot of these recipes, um, you know, instead of the, you know, the white sugar. Okay. All right. And, um, you know, a lot of these are, you know, kind of simple. They don't have a long, giant list of ingredients. They really just let uh, a few of these really good ingredients just speak for themselves. Uh, can you tell me about the importance of, you know, just keeping it simple? Well, you just said it yourself. We've got to keep it simple and let the flavors talk for themselves, right? Okay. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's the thing, you know, in busy day lives, you know, we're all moving, we're all doing things. We don't always necessarily have the time to prep and prepare, you know, all of the meals, you know, uh, when you come home from work, right? Or, you know, if they're elders, you know, they're used to, you know, they're maybe not be cooking for as many people as they once used to. So, you know, we wanted it to make it easy um, for them to be also to, to make as well. Right. And, you know, for our native listeners, um, 
can you can you just kind of ex explain maybe a little bit more like the importance of uh, cooking and learning how to cook? Oh, <laughs> the important. I mean, you know, uh, you know, for me, you know, cooking and understanding these nice these, these skills. Um, what happens is, you know, a lot of people can just go to, you know, Walmart or, you know, Safeway or, you know, Fred Meyer and, you know, just buy um, prepackaged foods. And uh, we wanted to, you know, reintroduce them back to cooking, uh, you know, simply, you know, with good ingredients that taste good um, and not have it be easy. But then also, you know, be able to cook meals with their, with their children as well. Um, this cookbook was meant to be simple. You know, we did add you know, some different recipes in there to kind of like um, raise it up a little bit. Uh, you know, the, the actual um, the experience and knowledge of, you know, using different uh, tools in the, in the kitchen. All right. And where can uh, people find this, uh, this big um, collection of resources? So uh, the Intertribal Council of Michigan has, um, a YouTube channel, you know, we can also find it on their Facebook. Uh, we've also posted it on the uh, National Association of Food Distribution Programs on Indian Reservations uh, Facebook page. And, um, you know, but that's really where, you know, a lot of it's at. Uh, the six tribes in Michigan who also participated in this, each one of those um, tribes all received these uh, cookbooks and these resources. Uh, we've done, um, we've done uh, posters, we've done uh, recipe cards, um, and then there's also uh, in the back, you know, there's a QR code. So if somebody wanted to take a, you know, a snapshot of the videos, then that will take them straight to uh, the YouTube channel where they're at. Awesome. All right. Well, Joe, thank you so much for that. Um, I hope everybody can take a look at this. It's very uh, nicely done here. Like I said, it's it's beautifully done. The recipes are pretty simple. Um, there are a couple of maybe a little uh, harder ones in there if you want to challenge yourself. But um, yeah, if you're looking for you know inspiration in the kitchen, if you are curious about how to use different native ingredients, you know, there's one resource right there. And that will lead you to all kinds of other resources. You also have a list of, you know, other programs and tribes and uh, folks who are kind of doing the same thing, too, in Native America with Native food. Uh, so, you know, that flute, that means it's the end of the hour here. I would like to say thank you so much to all of our guests today. Hazen Schapel, Joe Van Alstein, and Jerry Jandro. Join us next week for another lineup of discussions about Native American issues and topics. I'm a senior producer and host of Native America Calling. Andy Murphy, we'll see you next time. Smoking gave me COPD, which makes it harder and harder for me to breathe. I have a tip for you. If your doctor gives you five years to live, spend it talking with your grandchildren. Explain to them that your grandpa's not gonna be around anymore to share his wisdom and his love. I haven't figured out how to do that yet. I'm running out of time. COPD makes it harder and harder to breathe and can cause death.
You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Support by Roswell Park, who know tribal communities face persistent challenges in health equity, such as cancer and higher death rates. The Center for Indigenous Cancer Research at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center is dedicated to advancing cancer research that will lead to translatable science, medicine, and cancer care for indigenous populations worldwide. Are you at high risk for cancer? A no-charge online assessment tool is available at roswellpark.org slash assessme. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.